The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, good morning, West Pines. You guys excited to be at church today? Man, what a family this is. Well, we got someone in the house today that's a special guest, and you guys are in for a treat. You know, in South Florida, in our culture, we've been going through a series called Visionaries. And we've been talking about people who have made an impact around the world and even locally. And our speaker today has made a tremendous impact locally. There's something called Church United. You might have heard of Church United. Our church is involved in it. It's hundreds of churches in South Florida uniting together for the body of Christ, hoping to change South Florida for the gospel. Our speaker today also is the founder of Doxadeo Churches. 30,000 members each week are ministered to by these, these churches. He's also started a ministry called City Changers Movement, partnering with churches and Christian organizations to help change the culture of South Florida with the gospel. Well, he's here with us today. He's a mentor at West Pines. He's been very influential here. He also has a book. Uh, it's called Not Do But Done. Uh, this book is out in the Resource Center for $10. I snag one back there without him knowing, you know, just for advertisements, but maybe I can keep it. We'll see what happens, you know. But it's $10. You know, I'll pay for it, you know. Anyways, in the house today, we have the speaker. And West Pines, we need to give a nice, rowdy, warm welcome for our guest today, Alan Platt. Hey, thank you very much, West Pines. And you can keep that book. Uh, it's such a joy to be with you. Uh, good to be back. Had the privilege of being here about a year ago. And uh, this morning, as I was just driving in and reflecting about this church, uh, I was just thinking, you know, it's important for us to understand that in the body of Christ, there are different members. And it's true also for churches. Not all churches have the same calling or the same redemptive gift and purpose. There are different things that God does through different groups within the context of His body. And there is a very distinct calling on this particular church. You know, some churches are called for their immediate community, and then some are called more regional some are called to a city, a county. Some are called for national influence. And it's very clear that in our engagement just over the last year with your leaders and just some of the dialogues we've had, that God has identified this church as a resource church, as a very important role player within the context of this whole region. And that God is preparing you and posturing you as a church to play a role that's going to be very significant within this region. And I just had this desire this morning coming here to say, I would love just to create a moment to bless you as a faith community, to trust God that you would uh, discover, embrace, and chase after God's purposes that he wants to reveal to this church and through this church going forward. So before I share the word with you today, could we just create a moment where we just pray and bring what God has birthed here before him and say, Lord, we trust you for the future. We trust you for the journey. Uh, give us boldness. Give us faith. Give us a sense of anticipation 
of that which you have designed for this church and the role that this church needs to play going forward. So would you just close your eyes with me for a moment as we come before the throne of God. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that it's a a throne room moment where we stand before you. And we recognize that Jesus Christ as the author and the finisher of of all things, um, the, the Lord of the church, you have brought this church to fruition. And, and Lord, we know that you have great plans and purposes for this ministry. And so we pray, we pray for the leaders, we pray for every person that has committed themselves to this body, for people that still need to come into this space. We, we speak over them in alignment to the purposes of God. A seeing together, a a speaking together, a believing together, a a sense of, of alignment to that which God wants to do through this ministry. And so we thank you for this ministry. Thank you for the blessing they already are to this region. And we pray, Lord, that that they would see so clearly the next steps in this journey. And we bless you for. The, the destiny and the purposes that God has in mind for you as a body, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. May I also just say, um, as I reflect on this weekend being Memorial Weekend, uh, I come in as an immigrant that's now finding myself resident here in Florida, and uh, just want to say... Uh, I am a grateful person for this country. Uh, It's people like me that uh, are grateful that you have opened up your hearts and your lives to receive us. And, uh, you know, sometimes when things seem a little crazy in the country, trust me, there are other places that are really crazy. So you've got so much to be grateful for. This is a fantastic country, an amazing place, and God has a great purpose for this nation. So God bless you as you celebrate this this weekend. I felt that I wanted to share this morning with you something about understanding our identity, uh, our identity in Christ in the essence of, of knowing our mission, you know, because identity precedes activity. The way you perceive yourself, the way you see yourself determines how you live. How you think about yourself determines how you engage with people, how you engage life, your anticipation, your expectancy of the future is all settled in this thing called identity. And therefore, it's so important for us to to discover that which God has purposed for our lives in terms of our own identity. And we find this in the Bible. Now, Uh, The Bible is divided into two parts. Uh, Help me here. It's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. You sure know your Bibles. I am impressed. They teach you well here. But listen to what you just said. Testament. What is a testament? It is an inheritance. And we speak about the Old Testament, also the word used there is covenant, 
and the New Testament. Actually, the word testament is only used in the New Testament scriptures. Otherwise, uh, it's, it's covenant. And so it's the same word that the New Testament writers knew there was something more about this. Because you see what happened was, in the old, this covenant was an agreement between God and man. And God said, I want to bless you. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be blessed in your house, in the field, in the city. I want you to experience the blessing. But there is agreement. If you keep my word, if you do what I've commanded you to do, if you keep my ordinances, then you will be blessed. But if you don't do them, these curses will come upon you. And so there was this challenge in the old framework because people knew that they were not going to keep all of these commandments. They, it was difficult for them to qualify for the fullness of the blessing. So it's within that context that God gives a promise and he says there will be a day where I will cut a new covenant, a new testament with the people. And then Jesus comes and Jesus comes to announce the new testament. But here's the big difference. In the old, we were the guarantees of whether we could be blessed, blessed or not because we had to try and live up to that expectation. In the new, the Bible teaches us that Jesus on our behalf cuts covenant with God. The cross is the place where the new covenant is established and now, instead of you being the guarantee of the covenant, the Bible is very clear that Jesus becomes the guarantor, the guarantee of this covenant. And he cuts the covenant on our behalf. And now he invites us to come in terms of what we say into Christ. And when we come into Christ, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we are welcomed into this framework, not as someone that must perform so that the covenant can become reality, but because Jesus is the guarantee, we just become the inheritors of that covenant. That's why it's called testament, the New Testament. When Jesus, just before he was about to die, was having the meal with his disciples. He breaks the bread, he pours the wine, and then he looks at the disciples and he says, this is the New Testament in my blood. They didn't really understand it. They didn't really understand what was busy happening. But you see, Jesus knew that the moment he would die and his blood would flow, he would, he would shout out and say, it is finished. It is complete. It is done. And when he would say that, laying his life down, in that moment, humanity would have the privilege of being able to access the inheritance, the testament. Um, there's this beautiful story about this young man that was living behind the Iron Curtain in the time where it was illegal for Christians to come together in homes to have Christian events. And he was on his way to one of those. And on the way, the police stopped him and asked him where he was going. 
And he didn't want to tell them where he was going because he knew he'd be in trouble and the people that he's going to would be in trouble. But he was also a Christian and he didn't want to tell a lie. So he, he then prayed one of these really serious prayers. God, help me. And the next moment he got this revelation and he answers the policeman. He says, sir, it's like this. You see, my eldest brother has died. And tonight, we as the family are just coming together to talk about the content of our inheritance. <laughs> now, folks, that's what we do every time we come together. That's what we do when we gather like this. We open up the inheritance. We look at what Christ has done on our behalf. And we are included in Christ. We are, you know, Romans 8 says it so beautifully. He says we are Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Listen to the power of that statement. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know. You know, in terms of natural inheritance, how much you are expecting in terms of what's going to fall your way. You know, I don't have too much expectancy in that direction. I always pray that there's somewhere, some lost aunt that's put me into the will and testament, you know, and surprised me. But just think about this. When the God of the universe includes you as an heir, of that which he represents. Folks, I think our problem is we do not realize what has happened to us in redemption. We do not realize what has happened to us in the inclusion in this moment when God intervened in the affairs of man and repositioned us to welcome us into his family, and we now share in this whole new reference called the New Testament. And so Paul is trying to address this when he speaks to the church, and it's documented in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. So let's read these scriptures together. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we. When we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's a good place to say amen. Uh, Listen, this is such a powerful reference saying that this is what's happened to us in our lives. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a portion of Scripture that once you've read it, you know you better read it again to really understand it. But to really understand this portion of Scripture, the key lies in verse 5, where it speaks about the adoption of sons. Now, when we read adoption, our minds immediately go to the wonderful practice that we have in our culture where we would take a non-biological child and welcome that child into the family and introduce that family, that person as part of the family and, 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 and integrate that person totally into our family. That's a wonderful practice, but that's not what is referenced in this portion of Scripture. When this Portion speaks about adoption of sons. It's reaching back to a Middle Eastern practice where a father would have a ceremony for his own son. Now, what happened was the father would would take responsibility for his son in terms of his development and his growth. Remember, they did not have schools like we know them today. So the father had to go and contract with tutors and trainers and equippers, and he would contract with them, and he would kind of format something of a developmental process for his son. And then when he felt his son now was ready, he had accomplished that that process in a way that that made him to be ready, the father would have a ceremony, and this was called the adoption ceremony. And at that ceremony, two very important things would happen. The first thing was that the father prepared a cloak, a garment for his son. And this garment, remember in biblical times, your garment identified who you were, your status in society. Uh, It determined, you know, how people would look at you because different people had different garments and those garments determined their societal engagement. This particular garment that the the, the father would prepare for his son was called the inheritor's cloak, the sonship cloak. And what the father would do is he would, at the ceremony, come and clothe his son with this cloak. And everybody would look at that and say, now officially this son is identified from a child in the house to someone that has standing in the house. He is now a son. The word here in the Greek is huios, which means inheritor, one that comes to full standing in sonship. And the father would do a second thing, and this was he would shout out over his son and say, this is my son. The word here, huios. This is my son. This is my son. And everybody that was hearing that would know that the father is now giving official recognition to the son to enter into his full inheritance. He can now operate on behalf of the family in all affairs. 
That was a pretty significant moment in the journey of a, a child growing up. What's very interesting for us is as we study biblical reference, we see that even Jesus Christ goes through a similar experience. You will recall, if you've read the Bible, that Jesus uh, was on earth for 30 years, lived a perfect life, but never entered into his ministry, his calling. Jesus didn't do a miracle until he was 30 years old. But something happens that changes that significantly, and it's where Jesus gets to the Jordan River, and John is busy baptizing. And uh, Jesus says to John, you have to baptize me. And then John says, no, 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 I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, you have to so that all righteousness can be fulfilled, right? And then you read that in Matthew chapter 3, how Jesus is baptized. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, what happens? The heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes as a dove and clothes Jesus. And the Father speaks out and says, this is my beloved Son. And everybody that heard that would have known an adoption ceremony has just taken place. And it's amazing, from that moment, we see Jesus stepping into the fullness of his calling, the fullness of his ministry, the miraculous starts to happen through his life. Um, and, and what's also interesting is, right there, at that moment, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 4 says, to be tempted in the desert by the devil. And when the devil comes to Jesus... He engages Jesus a few times, and when he does, he starts with this phrase, if you are the son. You see, what the enemy wanted to do is he wanted Jesus to doubt whether he truly was the inheritor of the father. Here's what I want to tell you. His strategy hasn't changed. That's what the enemy does. You see, the enemy knows you are a child of God. And as a child, you feel you're part of the family. But so many children of God never step into the fullness, never step into that position of authority, never step into that inheritance, never take hold of that which God has intended for your life. And so you're always living as someone where you feel, well, maybe God loves me. Maybe God's going to provide for me. Maybe God's going to help me. Maybe, and, and you never enter into this knowledge that you are an heir of the Father and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It's an identity issue. Now, that's why it's so critical to understand this reference. Um, something happened to us when we entered into Christ. This is what Galatians tells us in Galatians 3, verse 24 to 29. Let's quickly read those few scriptures. He says, so the law is become our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, now all the ladies that are here, the Bible is calling you a son, all right? 
You can be a son of God. It's got nothing to do with gender. It's about a position in Christ. Listen, if I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a son, okay? <laughs> so the Bible's not always so gender sensitive. But the fact is, this is a position. This is a posture that you take. You recognize you are included in this reference. Now he says, for you all are sons of God through faith in Christ. Listen to this. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. You were clothed with Christ. There's a new identity. There's a new reference. You have been clothed with Christ. He defines your true identity. Question is, why is it so difficult for us to somehow take hold of this understanding so that we can step up to this reference that defines who we are. Well, Jesus tells a story. And uh, the story is documented in Luke chapter 15. And we often reference this story as the story of the prodigal son. Now, everywhere in the Bible, when you read son, you can see immediately afterwards, it will talk about inheritance. That's the principle. Right? So it speaks about the, the prodigal son, but Jesus tells this story. And in the story, uh, there are three distinct references that I believe are the key things that are keeping us from stepping into our inheritance. Stepping into this position of being heir of the fullness of God. And the first one, I just want to term as basic ignorance. People do not really understand what has happened in redemption, and we have a shallow understanding of redemption where we, we just think redemption stops with forgiveness of my sins, thank God for forgiveness of our sins, but redemption is so much more. It's the repositioning of your life into a new way of living. You've got to discover that reference. So, when we read about this in Luke 15, the, the, Jesus tells the story from verse 11. He says, Jesus continued, there was a young man who had two sons. The moment you hear sons, it's about inheritance. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Listen to this. He divided the property between them. Both of them got the share of the inheritance. Now we know this young man, the younger one, took his inheritance, left home, went and squandered it, and we're upset with him for doing that, but at least give him credit that he knew what was legally his. Because evidently the older brother did not. Because later in the story, the older brother would say to the father, I've served you so many years and you've never even given me a goat. He forgot about verse 12. Somehow didn't know. And so many Christians are living their Christian life not knowing. Not knowing. Um, we have friends in, in South Africa that recently wanted to go to a, a beautiful part of the country in the central part of the country, there's these majestic mountains called the Dragon Mountains, Drakensberg. And they decided they're going to just spend a weekend there, never been there. 
And um, so they, they were driving into the area, and they tell me the story. They say they were so disappointed because as they were driving in, um, the, a thick mist had settled on that whole region, and it was, it was just becoming more and more clear that they were not going to see anything about the mountain. Uh, checked into the hotel. He said, in the next morning, as he drew the curtains of his room, the mist had lifted. And suddenly, through the window, he was looking at this majestic mountain, and he was overwhelmed by its beauty and its splendor, and, and he was reflecting just on the sight. And, and as he was looking at this mountain, he said, the thought occurred to him, this mountain did not arrive here during the night. It's been there all the time, but he couldn't see it, because there was just too much mist. And when he said that, I so recognized how many people already we have so much in Christ. The full inheritance of the New Testament is ours. It's already there. You don't have to negotiate for it still to arrive. You don't have to still ask God to bring that into that reference. It is there, but we many times don't see it because we're clouded with the mist of life. So many voices, too much noise. So many things in our lives are keeping us from understanding what we already have in Christ. Ignorance. But the second big thing that keeps us from taking hold of our inheritance is guilt and condemnation. We feel guilty because we've done stuff that are wrong. We know we've messed up and we feel so bad and now we feel inferior. Now we feel we don't qualify. We don't feel that we could actually, you know, be the spiritual giant and rise up and because we feel guilty about stuff. And we watch this young man sitting with the pigs and he comes to his senses, the Bible says. Now let's read that portion of Scripture here in Luke 15, verse 17, he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now listen to this. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired Just listen to him. I am no longer worthy. And so he does. He sets off to his dad. And you know the story. The father sees him far off, starts running towards him. And he, he, he's rehearsed this so well. And he repeats it in that portion of scripture. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What does the father do when he says that? He does not even answer him. He turns to one of the hired hands and says, go and fetch the cloak. Go and fetch the garment. My son has forgotten who he is. You see, this is the wonder of the new covenant. That when we come with brokenness, when we come back to the Father, we, we don't start 
at the bottom again and we have to work ourselves up so that we can qualify, so that we can have some kind of a, an, an acknowledgement and inheritance in our lives. We are in the body of Christ. We belong to Christ. We are in Him and if we mess up, we run back to the Father. We bow our hearts. We, we get our hearts clean before God and He clothes us with righteousness. You're an inheritor. You're an heir. Third thing that keeps us from taking hold of our inheritance is very simply just performance and religiosity. Well, this is where we think we have to do stuff to qualify so that we can be more spiritual, so that we can receive the blessing of God. We, most of us, grew up with that as a paradigm of life. You've got to do your stuff. You've got to qualify. You've got to perform. You've got to achieve. You've got to, then you will be recognized in your life. Many of us that come through some religious stream in our engagement with God have that picture of God. We have to do stuff so that we can qualify so that God will accept us. I'm here to announce Jesus Christ said it is finished. You are accepted in the beloved. This is what that book is all about that you heard, not do but done. It's not something you can do. It's something he has already done. Because listen to this older brother. He comes to the party. You know the story. The father's now having a party. The young man is back. The father's so, so grateful and happy and excited. And he's smiling. There's no frown. There's not a, a fraction of uncertainty about how he feels about his son. He's just, so, he's just so blessed to have the son back. He's got this party going. The older brother arrives. Hears the sound. Is angry. And we pick up the story here in verse 28, uh, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And the father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, which is probably a lie in itself. But you never gave me even a young goat to, so I could celebrate with my friends. Listen to this. And the father looks at him and then answers in verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Listen, can you imagine if the father stood in front of you today and he mentioned your name and he said, listen, you're mine. You belong to me. You're always with me. And whatever I have, it's yours. Can you feel how it, it, it's difficult for us to even fathom that? To even think through that? But somehow God wants us to press in to know we've been accepted in this family. I'll tell you a story. Um, in closing, I... I grew up, uh, we were four brothers, and um, our parents were divorced when we were still very young. And so we went and stayed with my grandparents. They were amazing people, loved Christ, just amazing people in the community. My grandfather taught me so much about leadership and being a man, and 
my grandmother, she was just an amazing person who literally ran the town. And so we stayed in this big old house uh, that was a kind of a colonial house, many, many rooms. And so there were always people in and out our house having lunch, dinner. Some people stayed over. So it was one of those really open houses. And so here, here we are, four brothers growing up with grandpa and grandma in this house. One day, we're on our way to church, and my grandmother sees this young man close to the church with a bicycle, feels compassion for him, tells grandfather to stop and calls the young man over. His name is Gabe. She says, Gabe, where are you going? He says, no, I don't know. She says, you're going to church. So Gabe goes to church, and so he joins us at church, and uh, after church, so Gabe, where are you going now? No, I have nowhere to go. Come along, you're coming to have lunch. Uh, then after lunch, so Gabe, what's your plans? No plans, all right. Long story short, Gabe moves in, right? <laughs> he gets his own room. And he's now part of this whole family kind of deal. But the problem was with Gabe is Gabe was a little off. And so Gabe was a little bit of an embarrassment. He was about 18, 19 years old at that stage. We were kind of 14, 15, around there. And wherever we went, Gabe wanted to go with. Now, that was okay uh, until when people asked Gabe, so who are you? He would answer them and say, oh, I'm one of the Platt brothers. And we would say, Gabe, 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 you've just crossed the line. Um, I mean, you, you've got to understand, you know. Um, and so we're trying to explain to Gabe in a nice way that he's not quite as cool as what we are. Um, uh, you know, we don't mind him hanging out with us, but he can't, he can't, he can't say his family, because that's a little bit embarrassing. Anyway, as we grow up, Gabe is part of this whole equation. And I remember leaving the house, going to study theology, and I was about to get my degree, so it's this big event where we have pomp and ceremony, you know, we're all gowned and capped and everything for this big event, and it's in Johannesburg, and at that stage, Gabe was on the other side of the city, and uh, he heard about this event. I'd only invited a small group of people in the family. <laughs> Gabe heard, and he decided he's going to surprise me, all right? And so Gabe gets on his bicycle, and... Uh, He's got a suit on, and he's on his way to this event. But that evening, there is this mother of all storms over that city. And so Gabe is caught in the midst of that, and he is drenched. I mean, he is just, he's, he's caught in the storm, but he's on a mission, so he's on his way. He's going to be there. Unbeknown to me, he gets a seat right at the back. I'm sitting right in front. So as they say amen to this event... And we rise up. I hear somebody shout from at the back of this room. Ellen! Ellen! Now, I'm hearing this, and I'm saying to myself, Lord, I know that voice. But I plead with you, just not tonight. Just not tonight. But as I turn around and I look to the back, now everybody's looking to the back, I mean, and here's this guy waving, and then they look to the front to see who's the recipient of all this joy, and here I am waving at Gabe, I mean, and so Gabe comes for me, the people are making way. As he comes down, I see the steam coming out of his, his I mean, this is just a sight to behold, his hair standing, and, and he's coming down this thing, and he grabs hold of me. And he embraces me. And I feel the water coming through. It's like, 
And Gabe was loud, and so he's, and now he's, now he's affirming me. Oh, Ellen, this is a wonderful night, and God is going to use you. And he's like, oh, thank you, Gabe, thank you, Gabe. But I'm just like, I'm so embarrassed, I'm dying. Gabe is, you know, kind of just being Gabe again. And um, as, as he finishes up, you know, I thank you very much, and I turn around, and somebody standing close to me turns to me and says, who's this? And I hear myself saying, oh, it's my brother. And I, I remember that moment so distinctly. I, I got in my car, I was traveling home, and I was thinking to myself, why did I say that? Uh, and I was reflecting on just the fact that in that moment, I affirmed Gabe. And um, I got home. And I took the Bible, and I cracked open the Bible just to read a portion of Scripture before I go to bed. And as I read it, it fell open to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, that says, Therefore he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And it struck me, how many times have I been the Gabe in the story. How many times have I been the embarrassment? How many times have I been the one that he could have turned his back on? But he's made a choice. He's, he's, he's committed. And he's invited me into the family. Never, never to push me away. I'm family. I belong to this family. I'm an heir of the Father. And I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. This is the discovery we need to make. We need to deeply understand who we truly are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You are our Father. You, you are the author of this construct of inviting us into this family. Lord, how easy for us to miss this glorious understanding that, that we're not just tolerated, we have been embraced, we are accepted in the beloved. We belong to your family. And so I pray for everyone that's heard this word. May they just sense the embrace of the Father, the establishment of their identity, hearing that the Father says, you are my beloved son and daughter in the kingdom. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Be glorified, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.